0: Well, here you are getting the free preview of our latest episode over on Substack at wethefifth.substack.com. So go subscribe if you want to hear the whole thing. And uh, I'm just going to give you a little preamble here. So this is a sample of some of the things we recorded the other night. But um, you should know (laughs) that there was a news story the other day. It was actually discovered by somebody at Vice. Media where I used to work, and at Vice News, who pulled the bankruptcy documents from Vice, because, uh, of course, Vice is declared bankruptcy, and one has to declare all this with the court. And in the process, you have to file documents which contain some pretty interesting information. Um, that made news the other day when it was discovered that Vice executives had been getting rather generous bonuses as people like myself and others were being laid off, now I've refrained from commenting about this for a number of reasons, but mostly because it just didn't seem to be my place, and it was a bit gossipy, etc. But I don't know how it came up in this episode. It's the end of the episode, but I got very angry about it. So there's a little bit of that. I'm just warning you that uh, if you don't pay, if you don't pay for it, you don't get to hear me. <laughs> complain bitterly about the idiots that I used to work for. That'll give you a little sense of how I feel about it all. But anyway, here's a little sample of the episode we recorded the other night. Uh, This is a members-only episode. For those of you who subscribe, it costs a pittance. Go over and do so because, as I said, they did lay me off, the fuckers. So you subscribing helps a lot. That seems like I'm busking. Panhandling. All right, it's a good episode. We, we, We know of new methods of attack.
1: I am the longtime subscriber who wrote the dickish email about Moynihan following the RFK show. I'm still pissed about school-related COVID stuff, and I was trying to be an edgy asshole to sound funny about it. But sounding like a jerk is an affected tone for me, and it failed and backfired. I feel badly about it, but it has been a good lesson for me. I don't need to pretend to be mean or pretend to be anything, really. I can just earnestly say what I mean. So even though I was embarrassed— Is that the
0: one—do we read this one in the air? I I think we did, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. So even though I was pretending
0: to be mean because I because I I destroyed him in the argument. I think so.
1: (laughs) Even though I was embarrassed by being called out for doing what I did. I'm grateful for the experience and what it taught me. Thanks for all the great hours of great listening.
0: Now we don't. Wow. To be clear. I love that. Just be yourself. Just be yourself, yourself, brother. (laughs) Be yourself. But to be clear, (laughs) anything that I said in response to that that was pointed um, is with the presumption that we're both winking at each other when we're doing it, right? Not, mm-hmm. There's n- nothing There's ever, when we talk about somebody who's written a uh, dyspeptic email or is annoyed at me or at you or or Matt or Camille, whatever, um, it's never mm-hmm. actually angry. And it's now, ne- I mean, it's always appreciated. I mean, I, I, I look forward to the ones that um, are mean to me far more than I look forward to the ones that are nice to me. because <laughs> because, the, because the nice ones are so much more frequent (laughs) the one saying you're the smartest person that's ever been you know existed in the form of podcast i get that i'm on your side we agree so when you do say something nasty i'm like whoa what happened and uh, i appreciate it a lot more i'm kidding I don't like any of you. Kind of. Kind of. (laughs) of (laughs) That's that's, that's where he's getting. Yes, Yes. there
1: it is. (laughs) Camille, do you want to make him feel bad about using half black and half white?
0: No, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know what those things mean. What does it mean to be fully black or fully white? These are nonsense concepts, but I'll allow it Mm -hmm. for the sake of the email. Exactly. Well, I mean, you have a white mom and somebody who's not a white dad. That's the. I mean, then you know how we use it. I know you don't agree with. I it. I understand how we use it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, oh, on the Again, Tracy Chapman about. thing, on the, but on the country thing, that is, that's. I appreciate that comment too because the people who are always talking about country in this in this context, you know, when they talk about you know the racial dynamics of country or what you know what it's like to be an out mm. gay person, they're people who don't listen to country. I mean, there's a, the the person at the Washington Post who wrote this piece is not like. I suspect not hanging out at the grand old Opry, or like you know, filed that column and got into a car and cranked out Buck Owens or something. These are people that tend not to have any any, and they just you know they exist in this. Sta- they're the people that are also surprised when they find out that red state blue state doesn't really make much sense because when you go to the South or you go to the Midwest, mm. all the cities it's rural, it's it's urban and rural. Like Kansas City is a blue. Plays. St. Louis is a blue, blue place, you know? I mean, Deep blue. all yeah. those places are like, it's, and they don't, they're like, oh my God, I found a, there was a gay bar in Oxford, Mississippi. I'm like, yeah, because it's like not a right-wing place, you know? Um, and people always are surprised to find out the same thing about country music, that there's, oh, there's black people in it. There's someone who's Asian. And it. it's like, yeah, it just, it, it. you know, I mean, you listen to K-pop and half the stuff has, like, breakdowns in the middle of a song with, like, some Korean teenager rapping. Like, I, I'm more surprised by that than I am that someone who's, like, quote-unquote black is, like, playing country music. They're American. You hear it. It's not surprising, you know? Yeah. Much more surprising that a Korean person is, like, doing, doing like, drill music or something. <laughs> so. <laughs>
1: um uh, speaking <laughs> korean you know, drill it uh, sounds like
0: a something you get at home depot or something it's like it's like that kid rich brian the he's a indonesian rapper you don't remember oh yeah him? yeah yeah i've seen him yeah his name was originally rich Chiga. yeah that's right yeah and people were yeah. not happy about that yeah yeah it's kind yeah. of his videos are hilarious yeah you watch them mm-hmm. um, what else we got
1: Kristen, uh building on that theme uh hey guys uh, her uh, subject line is uh, "The Pod of Crying and Remembering." Um, mm-hmm. Hey guys, I seldom get breakthrough memories about my time in the in the Boston in the eighties uh, by design. But when Michael mentioned Tracy Chapman, I remember that back in the day, I'd yes. also seen her around seen Cambridge. Her.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: never saw her playing on the street. The thought randomly. Though though, <clears throat> though, randomly saw Suzanne Vega once outside the coop, whatever happened oh, to wow. her,
0: <laughs> That's funny.
1: but Tracy would frequent a laundromat near me. I pulled on that thread and ended up at open mic night at the Middle East, TT the Bears, Green Best Street clubs. Station, oh, and I've The Rat, of, of course. Yep. The great then JJ Foley's for last call, even uh-huh. I know that one. I even unearthed a few photos, Jesus, the hair, the vibes. The thrift store clothing, it was so fucking fun to be young, before kids, before Mm -hmm. spouse, before a shred of good sense, and just the music. Thank God for Wikipedia. I found the year of the Rock and Roll Rumble, where one of my favorite bands- Oh my God,
0: there's WBCN that did that in Boston, Rock and Roll Rumble, yeah.
1: Made it as far as the finals, great memory. Eventually, I really found myself down a rabbit hole, which is when the crying started. But still, Mm -hmm. and all- I do hope someone from my past is alive to tell my kids stories about me one day at my funeral. Any case, love the pod, would def be down to attend a live show in the DMV if ever, and thanks to the reminisce, oh, and best wishes to Camille in his
0: relocate. Mm, Wow! Very kind, very kind, and and great memories for me too of uh, Tt's, uh, which was right next to the Middle East. Um, There was Middle East upstairs and downstairs, um, the to bigger shows and smaller shows, and um, Green Street and all those places. I mean, the Rat. I even I was even at the Rat before it closed, which was the greatest club and the absolute dump in Kenmore Square, where every great band. I mean, it's you think of. CBGBs in New York, and if you look at CBs, the 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 people were playing in the nineties and stuff. There was not not a single good band played there for like ten years, because it became this thing where people wanted to play CBs, and there was like people from from um, you know Nassau County and Westchester, and their little bands would come and we played CBs, but there was never a good show there. Um, The Rat was kind of like that. Was like
1: that in in the yeah
0: right? It it became this thing for like bands that you didn't want to see. But Boston in that era was really amazing. It was really an interesting place. And which is why I, um, I talked to somebody at dinner tonight, a woman who's across from me. Um, the average edge of this dinner was like, Eighty-four. So, woman is telling me. Did anyone aggressively
1: fart at you to make a point? Yeah, and farting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm farting. <laughs> yeah. Hi,
0: it's all the farting is happening. Um, oh my god, and, uh, I love yelling. <laughs> it's so it crazy. It is honestly the best thing I've ever. Been. That man should be president. It is. It, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I do. I do. um I mean I don't live in Boston. I'm in Massachusetts right now. By the way. I'm not in Boston, um, but I'm in a lovely place on the water, but not in Boston. But I do get frustrated when, if you talk about Boston in a time that is not, you know, now, anything, a contemporaneous conversation. By the way, the mayor of Boston is in her own—she was awful, like a truly awful uh, um, person—is in a scandal right now for giving a list of her—Nixon enemy-type list to the Boston police— of people who had, like, criticized oh. her. Yeah, like, pe- oh. like people were, like, trolling her online and, like, political enemies and stuff. And so this is, like, on, on, um, uh, just been unearthed in, in Boston by by journalists. It's really, really interesting because she's awful. A terrible, terrible, terrible mayor. Um, we have had a lot of them, like Mumbles Menino, uh, Mayor Menino. <laughs> All these people are terrible. <laughs> but my thing about Boston that I... Uh, it's funny because stereotypes it says particularly after this jury jury duty thing where they give you an hour literally an hour conversation before you go into deliberation about not not indulging your unconscious bias and not um you know uh, sort of referencing stereotypes in any of your deliberations and everything but the stereotype of Boston um is really something because it has become this thing that it's like Bo- Massachusetts Boston is racist right the most racist town in the world. And there's two things that have created this. One Matt knows well is sports. Um very slow in integration in sports. You know, if Tom Yankee is not Boston though, right? Uh Pumpsy love Pumpsy, nothing this is not this is not indicative of of Boston's racial policy. And then of course there was there was uh, busing. And the busing thing was insane. And it was, like, the first day of integrated schooling in South Boston. Uh, the first day. This was enormous protest. You remember the, the guy, the black lawyer, being attacked by the American flag? Um, the other end of that story, by the way, many years later, is really fascinating. The Boston Globe did something good about it, like, 10 years ago. About the guy who attacked him with the flag, whose life has been just... A dis- a- a- a series of disasters and just not a very political guy. I don't think it was just, he was very apologetic about it, but the black lawyer has of course become, you know, very well known. He's, he's a very well-respected lawyer, but keeping in mind that that was happening in Boston because Boston and Massachusetts was very progressive. And that's where that was starting. Right. And you had people like Louise day Hicks and Dapper O'Neill and some of these local, local people that were really opposed to it. And the parents didn't like it because they were like, they had, they were Southie people And their kids were being taken forcefully and put into like Roxbury or Dorchester into these schools. And it was like, you didn't have to be a racist to oppose this, right? But there was violence involved in it. And a kid got stabbed on the first day of school uh, in in South Boston. And I think it was a a black student actually stabbed a white student. You would assume because of the violence that preceded it, that um, it was the other way around. But keeping in mind that Nixon in 1972... Um, Only lost one state. What state was that? Massachusetts. Because Massachusetts has always been a Democratic stronghold. It has conservative Democrats like Dapper O'Neill. It has had very, very strange politics. It is segregated in ways that almost every other city is, but it's very differently segregated in the sense that Mattapan, Roxbury, Dorchester, etc., those are like, you can't walk into them. You know, it's like the Bronx, like you have to get there. It's not like it's it's segregated in that sense. But I always thought it was an incredibly unfair rap that that at this point, people, are like, oh, you know, Boston's so racist. I mean, it's mostly college students, you know, by the way. So they are racist, but they're racist in a totally different way. They're obsessed with race in a totally <laughs> different way, but I think that Boston and and just because that was an era, like you know, someone talks about the Channel and the Rat and TTs, and like that's just a different era for me. And that's the era that people associate Boston with this kind of disastrous, horrible. But I grew up at a, I went to a busing school. I went to a school where there was busing. We didn't get bused; it was too far away, you know. But we they had kids that were bussed. From Roxbury, Mattapan, Dorchester to my school, I grew up from very young age. Um, it was after the busing thing had had been, and and those programs basically don't exist anymore, and people don't talk about them very much. Yeah, they were huge. I mean, it was like the biggest story that ever existed. You know, I mean, a- across the nation, the focus was on Boston. People knew who Louise Day Hicks was, who was like a local politician. And she became famous. Um, Why does no one talk about what became of those kids in that program? It's an interesting question. I mean, the violence that, that, that you saw in South Boston that first day... It came to my school in a bit. Not bad. not bad. not like that at all. But there was a kid that um, was, a, it was called the Metco program. The Metco was the busing program. There was a Metco kid that I mm-hmm. went to school with um, who didn't come to school one day um, because he was shot and killed in a drive-by. This is very strange for where I grew up. It was like, wait, what? There were no kid. Nobody got killed in drive-bys. Nobody had guns. Nobody had ever seen a gun. Um, there were kids that got stabbed. There were kids that just disappeared. Went to, they went to jail um, and it was like a really strange thing for a very bucolic, quiet town west of Boston to experience. I mean, I don't think it was a bad. I thought it was like a really interesting to know, all, to understand a lot of this stuff probably before that I ever would otherwise. But did it work as one of the great integration experiments uh, that said, you're not going to do it voluntarily. You're not going to leave your neighborhoods. These kids don't have the money to go all these places where all you white people live, which are very expensive or much more expensive than this. There's no public housing there, et cetera. Um, We're going to do it by force. That's a huge experiment, enormous. Um, And it was one of the most radioactive uh, debates of the time. And no one cares about what happened and i say this all the time about you know everyone got involved in the debates about nicaragua in the 80s you know jackson brown and bruce springsteen having concerts don't don't arm the contras and then 89 happens no one ever cared about about um nicaragua again same with vietnam in fairness
1: um there was a piece that i've probably mentioned once or twice before in the new york times sunday magazine uh, about four or five years ago it's one of the last pieces of actual journalism from Nicole Hannah-Jones and it was the tagline of it and it's a very good piece and I recommend people read it uh, as much as one might disagree with it Um, and the framing and the headline and then the kicker of the the essay well-reported essay was busing didn't fail we did Um, the underlying assumption was that busing actually did fail Um, what she was saying is that we didn't bus hard enough or that we uh, we engaged in a backlash against it that made it impossible. We didn't. Uh, we you know basically did some kind of version of massive resistance to try to make sure it it, uh, it didn't happen. It's worth reading for all of that. But so it, it was more. It's more of uh, it expressed an interest in busing as a um, like a case study <laughs> of a lack of political nerve in the face of an attempted redress more than it was looking at, Oh, wonder what happened to everybody. Um, it was almost setting up, um, a series of, of kind of debates and positioning that she and other people would be having later, which is pretty interesting. So the, the version now that they do, because busing is illegal for the most part, um, or, you know, being very specific about, um, uh, doing redress based on race and, and, uh, on, uh, demographics like that in, uh, in K through 12 has been illegal uh, vis-a-vis the Supreme Court for since 2009 or eight or something. Um, so people are now into this idea of controlled choice where they could still kind of micromanage it, but do it by class instead. Um, and, it is a similar. And, and when I started writing about schools, it was about this kind of stuff. Cause I couldn't believe that people actually weren't asking the question. Is this going to help the kids? And is it going to help the schools that like, it was a- astonishing. It's not about that. Yeah. How that never came up mm-hmm. except, you know, in a sort of strangled scream by parents at a, at a moment when they were allowed to say a a word during a very long process and they were immediately shot down by it. Um, It's, it's really strange.
0: that's a weird thing with Nicole Hannah-Jones. I have to read that. I just, I don't think, I just don't think she's smart. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, maybe, maybe there was other hands involved in this and it made it more interesting. She's a MacArthur genius. No, I, 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 Camille, you didn't hear me out. I said, I don't (laughs) think she's smart. I think she's a genius. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a different category, but when you say busing didn't fail, we did. Okay. Well, here's the thing about that. She's talking about a political kind of ideological thing, right? But all you have to do that I care about is take the kids who went to my school, which was a very good public school um, and follow them and see if it worked in that sense. Uh, Did these kids score better? Did they go to better colleges have better um, outcomes than people in a similar situation in their similar areas who weren't bust. And I think there's a reason people don't talk about that so much because it's a it's that's it doesn't mean like, oh, we failed. It's like, no, there was students, and maybe they failed. Uh, maybe I mean but every time you do something like this, it's going to be like well the teachers didn't care about them or they were expected to fail they weren't given the attention there's there's no way of 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 winning in these things i do i do really dislike the idea that because there were racist people in south boston and there were racist people in south boston this is like not up for debate that racist people in south boston could oppose a policy that can be reasonably opposed by people who aren't racist. And that's the conflation in the Nicole Hannah-Jones stories that because racists oppose this and they opposed it for racist reasons, then that must mean like that it was a correct policy and one that would expect to be supported by people who weren't racist. It's like, no, there were people who weren't racist that were like, wait a second, we put down, you know, our stakes in this community 150 years ago, from Ireland to here, we've developed our community. And like, I don't, my kids want to go to school with their friends. This is, they've been together since they were in elementary school. And now you're saying that we're just going to take them, the state's going to take them and send them to a school in a neighborhood where there will be some level of hostility. Um, No, I don't want that. And then there were other people who was like, I don't want black people in our neighborhood, they're criminals. Yeah, but that's, like, they're crazy, and and that's not the correct response to this. But then that became, in the Nicole Hannah-Jones world, um, and again, that's unfair of me because I haven't read her piece, but in a lot of people talking about this, well, you know, they'll show the flag photo, right? The guy trying to plunge a flag, which was, um, no one referenced, by the way, during January 6th, when there were shitheads with thin blue line flags attacking the police. <laughs> it's like... And that one's even more obvious and people didn't really focus on that too much, but that happened, but that is not the only thing that happened. That's the difference between journalism and history. Journalism is going to put that picture on the front of the Boston Globe as it should. Um, And that's going to set in your head of what happened in Boston during the the busing crisis. Um, But that's not only the only thing that happened and that's not the representation that it should be. Because there was, by the way, and I'll give credit to these earnest liberals who wanted something better for the kids that were in Roxbury and Mattapan. Um, Completely justifiable to want that. A, A good thing to want, a good thing to focus on. The solution was when you don't have the consent of the governed, then you have to force it in this way. That was a terrible idea. Yep, A very, very bad idea.
1: And And, uh, remember the word forced, it was the, uh, the uh,
0: exactly precisely right. That's actually a very good point. Uh, It's called forced busing. And, you know, it's, I just think it's um, a very weird uh, vision of what happened in Boston. It's, I think the better one is a warts and all one where you have all that awful racist stuff. And it was, it was, there were deliberate racist campaigns, like just not, they weren't even fucking around. Um, But, you know, Massachusetts at that time, um, was I think the mayor, was the mayor black at the time? But yeah, it, it was, it was, a, or was it Ray Flynn? Like, I just have to remember, it's been, it's been, it's been a number of years. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that, I think that that frustrates me more than, more than anything. And, you know, it just, you end up with that stereotype that Boston is like a, the, the progressive policies happen there. And there was backlash from working class whites and blacks, by the way, this is also true, but there were people who didn't want to go to school in South Boston, you know, like they had to be guinea pigs too. And, and people often forget about the kind of two way street of, of um, how that affected uh, local students and parents. It's a really fascinating story.
1: It is the, um, I think one of the things, and you know, I'm not going to spend even a minute weeping over poor maligned Boston. Let's be clear. But um, uh, as someone who grew up to hate Boston by training, I have mm-hmm. to recognize the unfairness of a large part of the cultural charge. Yes, busing is a huge part of that. That picture is a huge part of it. But let's yeah. be honest, Lakers versus Celtics
0: was a huge part of that. We're about ready to see the <laughs> absolutely true.
1: Yes. The uh the HBO yeah. series is uh is yeah. uh, having it started. Do, do you wanna do you wanna know
0: two. the best example of that? There was a black guy on the Celtics and he had freckles yep (laughs) it's like our black guys had freckles in boston it was like there's still a little irish you know dj dj had freckles that that boston (laughs) team which is
1: fantastic and just go as much as you hated them just go watch kevin McHale. tape they just had the weirdest looking white dudes they were all incredibly ugly kevin Kevin McHale McHale. looks like
0: he has escaped from like a remake of the Munsters. He's, He's a total like,
1: monster. He has this weird, like, shoulder, yeah. chest, long arm thing. Doesn't make any sense. Danny Ainge, he looks yeah. like the person who walked in your
0: party that someone just punched in the face because, like, just look at yeah. him. Punch him. You he have a white so- guy on your team named Danny Ainge who also played professional baseball. And did it in Canada.
1: <laughs> That's like. And he's a Mormon and like yeah, a horrible Mormon, floppy yeah. hair. And they would yeah. always have like auxiliary white guys too, like Scott Wedman. Like, mm-hmm. don't you have a jab? enough white guys <laughs> there was a guy, Who was
0: that guy His last name was Birdsong. I don't remember. Otis was that? Birdsong. He's a black. Otis, guy. Was it, but, he was but, a the great Otis, player. But no, but he played in the Celtics for. At like, the end of his
1: career, I think at the end of his career, he would have been a like great a Kansas, Kansas City king I, back in yeah. the
0: day. And he was like the only black guy on the team. Right? There was like a moment. It was a very, very strange thing that, that and the same thing is, of course, true of the Red Sox, that, 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 uh, the last team to integrate. But right? they were the last team, not, they?
1: The Red Sox were Pumpski Green, uh, like Pumpske showed Green up in it? like 1963 or something. But yeah. all of that was a visual. I mean, Larry Bird would absolutely crush your dreams every player you could see all these great uh youtube collections and of uh like how much trash talk he did and it's just all black dudes just saying like yeah i thought he was nothing then i and then he scored 75 points on me you know like telling me everything that he was going to do and uh like it's incredible to watch Oh, uh, these teams were high profile they were great they were super ugly and white and they were playing against Mary Bird th- is the
0: ugliest man who's ever played professional uh, sports physically like, <laughs> he's just uh, a, re- he's, a, he's an ugly human I'm sorry
1: uh, and and even Robert Parrish, the black guy chief uh have a big guy crazy yeah what a soul Drinking from the well Locked in a factory